tool buying is an addiction <laughs> with no known cure. Uh, it never ends and you will never have enough tools. Like I'll be buying tools to the day I die. I'll be on my deathbed just having a look online, seeing what else there is. Ah, oh, that's an interesting skyving knife. I've never seen that shape. Put that in my cart. <laughs> it's, a, it's a disease, definitely. Hello and welcome to the Leathercraft Masterclass with me, Phil. And in this episode of Q&A, we're going to be taking some live questions as well as some pre-prepared questions which I've obtained from Instagram stories. Now, if you're not following me on Instagram, you're missing some great content and the ability to ask some of these questions. So if you have burning questions about Leathercraft that you want answering, make sure you're following me at Leathercraft Masterclass on Instagram so that you can get those in every single month. Now, this is on Premiere, so we should have a live chat next to us. So if you're watching this, um, you can talk to another version of me in real time. Uh, you know, hi, Phil. Hopefully it's that side of the screen. <laughs> uh, and so you can ask me questions there. So this is obviously pre-recorded uh, the day before, uh, but you can talk to me live while I'm chatting behind my keyboard in the side there. So without further ado, we're gonna go live on Instagram. Now in this Q&A session, I'm gonna tell you a little bit about some of the questions coming up. Uh, in no particular order, we're gonna be talking about uh, sharpening English point punches, uh, how to charge the appropriate amount for your work, what kind of glue to use, water-based versus solvent-based and contact adhesives, uh, sewing machines, if, uh, if you're looking to join the Leathercraft Masterclass, what kind of tools would you need beforehand? What are bell skiving machines good for? How do you handle mistakes? What some of the mistakes you see other craftsmen making? Uh, how to get the most out of your time if you have a busy schedule? And if you're looking at starting Leathercraft, what's a good selection of tools for a beginner? Okay, as well as live questions, and right now I have no idea what they're gonna be, so. Let's see how that goes. So let's go live and take some questions as well from here. If I do miss your question, which is highly likely because I'm talking a lot, uh, please forgive me. <laughs> okay, so let's dive straight into the Q&A. So these questions I got yesterday uh, and last night from Instagram stories. So I'll put up a sticker getting questions. And uh, these are some of the questions uh, which kind of haven't been asked before in the previous Q&A. So I, I kind of want to avoid repeating uh, this, you know, the same questions and the same answers all the time because there's obviously some very common questions which have been tackled in the previous Q&As which are available on Instagram TV or YouTube uh, anytime you want them. So that's always available. So I always try and kind of keep new content coming. So. This is 11 questions. Normally it's 10 questions, uh, but we have 11 questions. We've turned it up to 11. Some people will get that reference. Okay, so diving straight into question number one. And this is a question, an interesting one about sewing machines. If you do non-visible portions of a project by sewing machine, is it still fine leather craft? Okay, so if you're using a sewing machine for parts of your, of your project. In this case, they're saying non-visible. Is it still fine leather craft? Now, some people might note that I exclusively hand stitch. I've got nothing against sewing machines. It's mainly because I enjoy the craft and the art, you could arguably say, of hand stitching. I find it enjoyable, I find it therapeutic. But I won't deny that there are times where a sewing machine would be much faster and possibly just as good as a hand stitch. And what I mean by that is if you're sewing leather to fabric um, or perhaps you're sewing in certain uh, zips like zip tape, things like that, if you're doing uh, French bindings, or if you're doing parts that don't come under a lot of stress or high wear, then a sewing machine is absolutely fine to use. I personally like to hand stitch everything, but it's more of a personal preference. Uh, but I would say absolutely. I mean, there's some people out there who do absolutely phenomenal work uh, and use a sewing machine in most of their work, uh, made by Nichols, as I put in a, a previous story. 
uh, does exceptional work in the UK and he's using a sewing machine a lot. He also hand stitches, uh, especially you know, some of his bridal leather cases, there's parts that he does. Um, but even on the Birkin, for example, uh, you're gonna see hand stitching in high stress areas and then you know seams around the top or the sides or you know over the strap uh, a lot of those are actually machine stitches but they use uh, i can't remember the name of the needle but it gives an angled stitch so it looks just like they're hand stitching so it keeps it consistent in that regard but yes i would say that if you are machine stitching part of your projects it would still be considered fine leather craft because you know fine leather craft is all about craftsmanship attention to detail uh, in my opinion, a historical content. Uh, there's so many different aspects of it, design, you know, uh, exclusive or rare materials used as well, or perhaps rare techniques that not many people can do, or expensive leathers and skins uh, that are quite rare or difficult to obtain. It, there's so many aspects of, of creating luxury or fine leather craft. And, you know, just hand stitching is just a one very small part of that, I think. I think it's a very important part, don't get me wrong. Um, but uh, yeah, absolutely, you can create fine work with uh, machine stitch. Cool, right, nice pen. Oh, thank you very much, this was my father's. Uh, I think it's, uh, I keep getting asked about this pen all the time. I think it's a, a Parker, 65 in gold it's from like the 60s or something like that okay so back to the questions question number two when to use water-based glue and when to use solvent-based glue my recommendation would be use whatever you enjoy using and that's a bit of a cop-out it's a bit of a boring answer use whatever you want um, yes you can use whatever you want but the question is which is best um, it depends on what you're gluing to. Now, water-based glue, the benefits of water-based glue have and always have been, uh, they're much less toxic, and also you don't get a strong smell, there's, there's no strong fumes coming off uh, because they're uh, water-based or at least solvent-free, depending on the, the type that you're using. Now, they're both usually, most commonly, neoprene-based glues or adhesives. Uh, if you're sticking leather to leather, or at least porous to porous, and if you're not sure whether something's porous, is, is it, does it have a rough texture? Does water, is water able to soak into it? That, that's kind of like porous. Is it permeable? If you're sticking leather to leather, there's not a lot of difference in strength between a very good quality uh, water-based or solvent-free uh, contact adhesive versus a solvent contact adhesive. The real benefits of a solvent come into when you're trying to stick uh, leather onto a non-porous surface. So if I wanted to, I don't know, um, wrap this pen or something like that in, in leather, say I wanted to do a strip of alligator around the top, I would much more likely uh, use solvent adhesive on this one. Okay, so solvent contact adhesive or cement as some people call it. Uh, because this is non-porous, okay, it's a gold surface, which means the leather is not really going to stick to it if I use uh, solvent-free contact adhesive, because solvent-free just doesn't stick to non-porous surfaces very well. Uh, there are some reinforcements, especially watch strap reinforcements that don't have, um, that are non-porous, so non-stretch reinforcements, they're non-porous, and uh, water-based contact adhesive just does not do very well sticking to it, whereas solvent has no issue at all. So it really depends. I use solvent contact adhesive most of the time because it's, I, I trust it. I'm familiar with that particular brand as well, how it dries, when it's ready to stick. I've been using it for years. Um, you know, I'm in a big workshop and I have plenty of ventilation. So it, it's not so much of an issue with it. and. Uh, I, it's very, very strong, but it really depends on what you prefer. A lot of people do really well using a good quality uh, water-based contact adhesive. So if you're sticking to non-porous, especially plastics, wood, certain woods, especially varnished wood, metals, uh, then definitely solvent, because solvent also has another ability, is it, it soaks into and anchors into leather a little bit better a little bit better than water because of the solvents. It draws that adhesive in 
so it anchors very well. So I'm used to it, I trust it, I use solvent, but it really depends on the project. Uh, live question by Lyle, Live Live Wilder Love. Uh, what about glue coming through with your needle? <laughs> What's Gucci, Philip? Uh, what, what about glue coming through with your needle? That tends to happen um, when you're using too much glue. And that could be not because you're paste, trying to paste too much down to make it stick better. It could be that your solvent adhesive is actually starting to uh, dry out. The solvent is evaporating. And it, it can happen to solvent-free as well. But when your solvent starts to evaporate, it gets thicker. So you've got a higher concentration of solids. So you can't put it down as thinly when it's really thick. So when you do finally glue them together, you prick and you're stitching with your awl or even without an awl, sometimes as you're pushing it through, it could be the needle or it could be the thread and it starts pulling through these little kind of glue boogers <laughs> or bogies if you're from the UK, uh, which you, know, you can get rid of just with a pair of uh, tweezers, just pluck them off, but uh, they, they can be a bit of a pain, it is a bit annoying. But yeah, it's usually too much glue or your glue is starting to get too thick. You might need to add a little bit more water if you're using water-based contact adhesive or uh, a specific solvent if you're using solvent-based, just to thin it down a little bit. Greetings from Costa Rica. Thank you, and thank you for your brilliant coffee. Hi, Phil. Hello, nice to meet you. Right, before we go on to question number three, it's the end of my day. I'm going to have a drinky poos with you guys. You're welcome to join me. And I'm having Dalwini's Winter's Gold. I've made a dent in it already. It's actually pretty good stuff. I normally drink their 15. Doesn't really taste much different. Right, so question number three. So let me just cross these off so I know exactly where I am at any one time. Just keeping an eye on the time as well. Talking of time, we're 11 minutes in, that's fine. Uh, how do you charge an appropriate amount for an item? How do you charge an appropriate amount for an item? And that's a really interesting question. And it's a question I get asked a lot. Uh, you know, it's, it's up there with questions about edge paint, gussets, uh, glue, uh, stitching, uh, things like that. And I would say that there's a common misconception that it's all about this special equation. Cheers. Thank you very much. Cheers. Um, a lot of people think that there's some kind of like a, a, a equation you need or a method where you go, okay, it's your your time plus materials plus the cost of the electricity and, and the heating and various other factors minus this plus that and, and then you're, you arrive at a number and that's what you charge for your wallet, for your bag, for your watch trap. That has never worked for me. Uh, I don't see that as a sustainable model and I think for a lot of people it's, it ends up, they, they start undercharging because then you go, you're asking how much you should charge. Okay, you're factoring in your time. How much do you want? How much are you paying yourself? Well, then, then that's the next big question. How much should I pay for myself? Well, if I get 15 pounds or 25 pounds an hour working as a carpenter, then I should get 25 pounds an hour working for this or doing this and selling my work. Well, you know, it then becomes really subjective and you have another issue to think about. And then you think, okay, so I'm, it takes me 11 hours to make a wallet. Okay, so in six months when it only takes you six and you're more experienced so you can make a better wallet, are you gonna charge less because you took less time doing it? You know, I, I, I think, I don't think it's a bad idea for, for everybody. I just think it's a bit of a flawed system. Uh, in my opinion, the most appropriate amount is whatever your customers are willing to pay for that product. Essentially, let your customers decide how much it's worth. So you're thinking, okay, how, how do I let my customers decide? Do I call them up and say, hello, uh, I remember you bought a card holder for me. How much would you pay for a wallet? I'll hold. You know, you're not gonna do that. You have to test the market. You have to kind of test the waters. It's a little bit like, you know, if ever you've tried to design uh, your own leather goods, and you want to make a bag and you want to make it to your own design. It's an unknown entity at that point. You don't know what it's going to look like. It's a concept in your mind. Maybe you've got some drawings. 
but you know that you're going to go through a period of fine tuning. You know that you're going to make a, your first uh, edition of that bag, and then you you might make it out of cheap leather, for example, and you go, okay, no, it's it's not closing properly here. Uh, it's too soft. It's not rigid enough. Uh, I don't like the lining. There's too many creases in it. And there's all sorts of problems that you're going to pick up. And then you make another version. You take what you've learned and you put it into that. Um, and it's a, it's a process of incremental improvements. And it's very much like uh, your pricing. So one way is to look at the market and go, this is how much similar crafters are charging. So you can start there as a base price. But just beware that they might be undercharging as well. So I would always go on the higher end, but make sure that you have craftsmanship to back that up and quality to back that up. Go on the higher end, and if you're not getting sales, that's good. Initial quick sales are not a good sign that you got the price right. That might be a sign that you got the price too low, okay? Uh, and then you're gonna be working really hard, and then what you're gonna do, raise your prices, that then becomes quite difficult to do. It's a whole nother uh, thing to think about. But putting uh putting out there at a higher price it might mean that you're actually you're not doing other things that you should be doing have you got a good website going do you know how to sell your work do you need to, do you know how to talk about your story and your craft are you showing you know you and your workshop making it so you've like proof that it's actually made by a person are you have do you have a social media account do you have email capture do you have you know, all these different things. And then you realize that your price was correct. You just, your marketing wasn't very good. So it does, because people aren't buying at a high price, doesn't mean you need to start lowering it until they do. You just might need to come up to your price rather than your price come down to you. And essentially what I'm saying is, if you're stuck at what to charge for your products and you're not sure what you're doing, and most of what I said doesn't really make sense to you, it means you need to start buying some books on marketing, how to sell your craft, how to advertise your product um, organically and paid if necessary. Uh, it just means that there's, there's a whole nother aspect outside of leather craft that if you're going to sell, you need to become good at that too. So something to be aware of as well. So while I haven't given you a, a proven system, a mathematical equation of what to charge, it's really not up to you what you charge, it's up to your market. Right, so question number four, how do you sharpen an English point punch? So this is, uh, this is an English point punch, oh that's good. This is an English point punch here, it's like a church window, okay, so you can see that. And what you do is you have a strap, usually under the size of the width of it, at the base there, like a belt. You place it over the end, so when you've measured how long you want your belt or your strap to be, then place it over the end accurately, centralize, and you whack, you go through it, and you have a nice pointed end to your strap or to your belt, and then you can edge paint it, you can burnish it, or do whatever you want to it. Now, how do you sharpen one? It's very interesting. They don't have to be mega sharp, okay? They're reasonably sharp. This one would probably cut paper if I pressed firm enough, but it's not gonna you know, shave me. You don't need it to be a sharp, as a, 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 cut, a leather cutting knife or a leather, leather skiving knife, for example. But you will notice that most of the time there will be a large bevel on, on one side and a small micro bevel on the inside. And sometimes it's completely flat like a skiving knife, only one bevel. Um, what I like to do is just place it into a vise and use a very, very fine uh, file. Just file downwards at a shallow angle, angle. I usually like to put a little bit of uh, marker pen around the top so I can see where I'm actually removing. Okay, so try and follow the bevel that was set at the factory. And you should be, you know, a little bit sticky sharp. I can feel it and that's enough. Make sure there's no burrs on there. So you can polish it on a little strop if you want to. But again, you don't need it to be shaving sharp. Uh, and that's, that's pretty much it. So yeah, I like to use a small file. You could use a piece of sandpaper stuck to uh, a thin piece of MDF or something like that. You could use, uh, you know, like a diamond abrasive sheet or a block, a diamond hone, and just very gently just sharpen it in one direction, usually going inward, so you're not pulling the metal up, you're pushing downwards. Right, so that is how to sharpen an English point punch.
there are many ways to skin a cat, as they say. So uh, that's just the way I do it. Cool. Uh, if I want to join the Leathercraft Masterclass, should I get more tools before or after purchasing? Okay, so this one is specific to the uh, online leather courses that I do. Uh, easy one to answer really, it's as long as you've got the basics, you're okay to get started. If you haven't got any tools, obviously, it's, it's a good idea to have a few of them or at least order them and then start watching so at least you've got them coming and that's going to make a difference but if you're not sure what tools you're going to need to start the courses or leathercraft in general there's a free uh, tool buyers guide along with a free leather guide uh, on my website leathercraftmasterclass.com link below obviously and you can get that absolutely free and i'll send it to your inbox and it's going to give you a list of tools from beginner intermediate to advanced uh, that you absolutely need at that particular stage or recommended at the very least. So is it essential to get all the tools beforehand? I can tell you now, and a lot of you guys will, will understand this as well. Uh, tool buying is an addiction <laughs> with no known cure. Uh, it never ends and you will never have enough tools. Like I'll be buying tools to the day I die, I'll be on my deathbed, just having a look online, seeing what else there is. Oh, that's an interesting skyving knife. I've never seen that shape. Put that in my cart. <laughs> it's, a, it's a disease, definitely. So just something to be aware of. But as long as you've got the basics, um, then I would recommend. So if you want to join the Leathercraft Masterclass courses, then yeah, make sure you have the basics. And then Purchase as and when you need them. That's, you know, it's frustrating not, you know, to have to stop a project because you don't have a tool that you need to kind of do the next stage. Um, but it is also an effective way of making sure that you don't really buy tools that you don't need because the worst thing is, is spending, you know, hundreds or thousands on loads of tools and then you don't end up using most of them. So uh, it can be a little bit slow going to kind of buy tools as you, as you go along, but it's an effective way of doing it, um, definitely. So, haha, uh, -ha, so true on the tools, yeah. Copperhead says, I've definitely bought more tools since joining the masterclass. <laughs> I'm sorry about that. <laughs> I know, it's, uh, it's, but it's fun, right? That's the thing, but you know what? I, nowadays, I really have this thing where I'm so trigger happy when it comes to buying tools. I always stop for a second and then put it in my cart and then come back to it the next day. Because there's so many times I'm like, oh yeah, I really wanna buy it, put it in the cart, give it 24 hours. If you still want it, you're always gonna want it. If you don't want it, you're like, actually, I don't really need it. Um, because it's so, it's, it, it can get a little bit expensive and a little bit unnecessary, to be honest, because, you know, although this is the, the kind of, behind me is, is the 10 or 20% of my tools that I use the most, there's probably, again, another 10% of these, which I use vastly more. It's like one skiving knife that I use 90% of the time, uh, one round knife that I use 90% of the time. Um, you know, it's just the same could be said for a lot of other things. So you have to really kind of like ground yourself sometimes and go, yeah, do I, do I need this? Is it gonna be helpful? Is it gonna make my life easier? Is it gonna make my life better? Or am I just bored because it's COVID right now and <laughs> there's nothing else going on, so. Which is probably, yeah. Okay, so uh, a less expensive linen thread alternative for Sanju Philo Chinois. There's not really many. I mean, linen is expensive to make. That's the thing. There's, you can get cheaper, but it's not really much cheaper. It's probably best to shop around for Philo Chinois, which, which is one of my favorites. I have seen a, I forget the name now. It's a German brand. Uh, they're pretty good. They're about a quarter less expensive than Philip Chinois, but I don't know what colors they come in and I don't remember the brand name, which is, is not helping anybody. I mean, there are alternatives. There's Barber's Linen Thread, um, which I think is, is kind of on par with Philip Chinois in a lot of ways, uh, but they don't have the best selection uh, for colors and things like that that Philip Chinois is. Uh, there's Crawford's, uh, and there's a few other smaller ones from Northern Ireland as well. There's coats in the UK, uh, but they're not going to be a lot cheaper. It's not a cheap thread. Uh, a cheaper alternative would be probably polyester, um, but you get what you pay for a lot of the time. 
I love how you've packed your tools behind you. Oh, thank you very much. Yes, it's, uh, it's, it's more due to laziness. I'm organized due to my laziness. So I become hyper-organized in everything I do to make sure everything's efficient. So I just have to kind of reach over and grab. It makes my life a lot easier. <laughs> okay, so uh, question number six. So this is a good one. Now, <clears throat> a lot of you might know all this. So apologies uh, if you're aware of what a bell knife skiving machine is and what it does. A bell knife skiving machine is um, basically a machine that you're going to be using to thin the edges of your leather. Okay, so if you want to stitch two pieces of leather and they're both three millimeters thick, say, when you stitch them together, that's going to be, give you a six millimeter edge. Now, if you want something that is a little bit more streamlined, a little bit finer, um, perhaps a little bit more classic looking, you want a thinner edge. Uh, which gives a much more desirable look, a nicer aesthetic to it, then it's a good idea to thin those edges down so that when you stitch them together, there's not so much bulk. So that's one reason. Another reason is if you want to do a turned edge. So you have a piece of leather that's this thick, you trim the edge so it's thinner, okay? And now you can glue and then fold over your edge and then stitch it through, okay? So that's your turned edge. It's, it's doing the same thing essentially as using a skiving knife to thin your edges, but it's much faster and it's very, very accurate and it's very, very repeatable as well. So if you're in a setting where you're producing leather goods quite often, um, then you know if it, if it makes sense for your business, absolutely. Um, it's, yeah, it can be a bit of an investment. So, I mean, I do have a course on a technique called Techniques for the Bell Skiver, which was designed for people with a bell skiving machine that want to know more about it, people with a bell skiver and don't know how to use it, which is the worst case scenario, people who are unsure whether they need one at all. Um, so the idea of the course was to educate people on getting the most out of their machine, or maybe they don't need the machine at all, and then it saved them a lot of money. So that was the idea. So there is a course on how to use it, but that is essentially what it is, uh, just for thinning parts. Show us how to make that all sheath. All sheath? You mean like, like this? Is that what you're talking about? Uh, I, do I have, do I have a course on that somewhere? I think I did a, a, a YouTube, no, I didn't do a YouTube video. I did a, a post on that once. Yeah, or like there is another one. I'll show you another one. Hold on. Uh, or two versions. So this is just a, a piece of four millimeter hide that we have here. So it's four millimeter hide. And what I've done is just taken a square of hide and then just pushed very carefully with your fingers out the way, push the awl through the side of the leather. And that's what you end up with. And then I just cut it into a V and then edge painted the side. So it kind of tells me which uh, all it is. So it's kind of color coded. This one is an interesting one. So you know, I've, um, you've probably seen me make bag handles before and I use like a leather core. Well, this is eight millimeter leather core. And then all you have to do is kind of very carefully with your fingers out the way again, place the all blade in there and just kind of like push it through making sure that it's not coming out towards the sides like that. Okay, and it just protects it. And then I've just kind of dipped it in some uh, kind of rust colored edge paint just to color code it again. It just stops you from stabbing yourself and you can leave them on the table and they've got their little sheath on there and it just makes life a little bit easier for you. Okay, so question number seven. Now this is an interesting one. This is all about mistakes, handling mistakes and how I, how I personally, yes, I make mistakes. <laughs> how I personally deal with mistakes is not necessarily how I recommend other people uh, deal with mistakes and let me explain what I mean. I'll read the question in its entirety from the person who uh, submitted it. How do you handle mistakes? For example, imperfect cuts, a blown stitch, edge paint drips. Is it important to finish? So there's two questions there. How do I handle mistakes and is it important to finish? And what they mean is if you're at the beginning stage of your project, say you're making a wallet, you're at the beginning of the wallet, halfway through or near the end, and you make a rather large faux pas, you know, you, you, or a, a rather large mistake, okay? 
do you continue the project to the very end or do you just stop and then start again, start afresh with new leather? I will say if you're a beginner, if you're still learning, always finish your project because there will be things on that project that you're still learning about, which you can use on the second one. So even if you finish your project, it doesn't mean you don't need to make a second one. But occasionally, occasionally, you'll find that whatever the mistake you think you made that was a catastrophe that's, oh, it's, it's done, it's, there's no way I can use this or gift this or sell this or keep this, it's no good. Sometimes you'll get to the end of your project and realize that you can actually rectify it or it didn't matter in the first place or that little tiny mistake isn't actually seen, it's on a hidden part that you, you, know, you totally forgot that it was gonna be folded and tucked in and stitched. Oh yeah, that's gone. So there are often times the mistake will turn out to be not a mistake, unimportant, or even if you scrap the whole thing, finish it because there's always something to learn. Um, so that's just something to be aware of. Uh, Life Marroquin says, I'm the queen of cash misere. <laughs> I don't actually know what that word means, unfortunately. <laughs> but I'm sure it's not great. So, um, how do I deal with a mistake? So if you're a beginner or you're still learning, a novice, I would say always finish it as long as you have time. Like if, you, if the order is supposed to go out the next day, like no, like stop, make it afresh and then go back to it afterwards, the original one and finish off so that you've got something to learn on. But um, if, you've, if you've been doing this for some years, what I like to do, is no matter how far I'm in the project, I grab a round knife and I cut the whole thing in half and I throw it in the bin. Dramatic, yes. It's, it's, I guess you could say it's a form of self-punishment. Some people might think it's a bit extreme, but the heartache of doing that is something that stays with you and you'll remember it the next time you do something delicate and you're like, if I mess this up, I know exactly where that round knife is. And it's something I still do today. It doesn't happen very often and the more experienced you, you become. But there are times and there's a little thing at the back of my mind that says, ah, it's fine, it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter. Before you ever compromise your leather craft integrity and you think, ah, it's, no one's gonna notice, cut it in half, it's dramatic, it uses up leather, but it works. That's all I'm gonna say. Um, it's, it's made a difference to my work, especially early on, when I thought I should know better, I should do better, cut it in half. And then I used to actually put it where I can see it, so it reminded me. Um, bit extreme, some people might find that a bit much, but it works for me, so it may work for you, but don't get upset if you cut it in half and regret it. <laughs> All right, uh, cash, cash, yeah. Oh yeah, cash hiding, yeah. Hiding mistakes, ah, that's a translation. Okay, so Nelsie79 says, which edge creaser would you recommend for marking stitching lines, the FN series or the N series or another? It, it really depends on the kind of work that you're doing. I like F for veg tan, where you're not really gonna round the edge anyway, and FN for chrome tan, which gives you that kind of the rounded edge as well as giving you a crease. Uh, it really depends. Sometimes I even like to take a scrap of leather that I'm gonna be using on a project and test out different creases, manual or electric, and just see which one gives the most pleasing effect along with the stitches. Um, so I always like to have a little bit of a test on everything, even if I'm using a certain type of thread or a certain type of edge finish or a certain type of, of crease. Always like to try it on scrap just to see if the combination works and if it looks, looks right. Sometimes what I think is gonna look right ends up not looking quite right and something else is a better alternative. So if you have different size uh, creasing tips, I would recommend just taking a scrap piece of leather or like a square and just try different ones on each and then just mark them with pen and then look at them objectively and go, which one looks the best to my eye for this project? And then go with that one. So rather than saying, use that one, always test. Um, you can never go wrong with testing, never go wrong. 
some of the leather says I've done that as well, cutting in half, uh, and you learn very quickly. Yeah, yeah, there's, you, you tend to learn quite well when there's a form of punishment, even if it's self-punishment. <laughs> okay, so that is question number seven, handling mistakes. If you're a beginner, finish the project. If you should know better, finish the project with a round knife. Uh, question number eight, uh, what is the biggest mistake you see other crafters make? This is an interesting one, isn't it? Uh, what is the biggest mistake you see other crafters uh, make? <sighs> I mean, you know, what's a mistake to one person is not necessarily a mistake to another person. So I could say, oh, that's a mistake. But for what they want to do, that's not a mistake. Uh, it's very subjective. Uh, 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 what a mistake is. Things that I see that I don't do personally for certain reasons is probably more of a like, yeah, okay, I wouldn't do that, but you have, and if you're happy with the result, then that's absolutely fine. It's not a mistake. So I'm cautious with the word mistake, but things that I wouldn't recommend people do, uh, one thing that I came up with that I see is a, is a common problem is selling too early. Uh, now, if you're uh, an amateur leather crafter and you're absolutely happy um, just doing it on the side, making things for yourself, friends, family, uh, you're not interested in making money in it, it's just like a little bit of an escape from your daily job perhaps, uh, it helps to kind of ground you and makes you relax and it's, it's a nice hobby, that's absolutely fine, this, this answer isn't for you but um, there are a lot of people out there who really want to sell. They get excited. They learn how to make a card holder. They Maybe they find a pattern on YouTube that someone made a little tutorial with a the pattern. They download that. They make it. They really like it. They do it again and make it a little bit better. And, and then someone says, you know what? You should sell those. You can make, make some money on Etsy or eBay or wherever, the market. And I think, yeah, it's a really good idea. I think that's a great idea. The worst thing that can happen to an early crafter is they start making sales. Because as soon as you start making sales, cr the creating process takes up, or ma the making up of process takes up a lot of your time that you could have spent learning and discovering new techniques and new breakthroughs. So I see so a lot of crafters, they've just discovered Leathercraft and they, within two or three months, they wanna start selling their leather goods online and they haven't reached anywhere near their peak on what they could learn, their techniques, their methods, their accuracy, their skill is still in the, in the infancy stage. They haven't really kind of blossomed as a craftsman yet. And you know, selling leather goods, the best thing that can happen is that no one buys your stuff. So you keep making new products, hopefully putting them out there and taking pictures and putting them out. No one's buying that, right? Let's try this one. That's the best case scenario because then you end up actually making a lot of stuff, a lot of different stuff, and you're still learning. Um, but trying to sell too early, it's a bit like um, if you go looking in the hills for gold and you come across a gold nugget, you know, you would probably keep looking and keep looking and find other gold nuggets and keep going, keep going. And eventually there's just little flecks of gold here and there. And you're like, okay, right, let's take all this hoard and go and cash that in. It's a little bit like uh, selling your leather work on, on Leathercraft. You, you have a breakthrough on something, you can make a card wallet, you can make a, a simple watch strap, and, and you feel ready to start selling. Uh, but it really does kind of hamper your, your, your learning, your, your discovering of new skills, um, which is gonna allow you to sell better products, more exciting uh, products that you could be making, bespoke items that you would need confidence to complete. Uh, items that you could charge a higher amount for, so you're not having to make so many uh, small items. You can make less but better items, uh, which is a much better scenario in my, in my mind. So, you know, wait until you haven't, you're not still having an aha moment every few days. If you're not, you've just discovered how to finish edges, you've just discovered how to stitch neatly, you've just discovered what glue is best. You've just discovered edge paint. If, you keep, if you're still discovering big things all the time, if you're having big breakthroughs, don't start selling yet. Wait until you've got some experience, you've experimented, you've come up with your own style, what makes you different, and you, you know, you've elevated your craft so you're a top-tier craftsman. That is what I recommend. That is gonna give you the best start uh, in your journey to selling goods. So that's question number eight.
Uh, when can we expect your own tool line? <laughs> oh, oh. One day, one day. Uh, 101 says, you're so right, I didn't sell for a year, but still I get swamped making orders and don't have time to develop and experiment with new things. And that is exactly what I experienced uh, at a certain point. Uh, it's just uh, eventually orders after order after order and you're using all your spare time to go through this and you know it's it's really difficult to not only improve your craft but develop new items to add to the line to sell because it'd be great you know but you're too busy to add the bag because I know that's going to take ages to produce and then pho you know photography and then put it up there and it's and, and you, you'd much rather the bigger orders uh, but if you're bogged down with so many smaller orders, watch straps, wallets, long wallets, uh, belts, and all that kind of thing, it's, it really does sometimes kind of hamper that, that learning experience. So yeah, you're absolutely right. Okay, question number nine. Um, I don't get, and th this is a common one as well. I don't get much time due to work and family commitments. How do I make time for my craft? So I don't get much time for work or family commitments. How do I make time for my craft? That's an interesting one. And uh, Court Leather, who's probably, probably not here, uh, sent me a DM about that one because she picked up on it. She said, uh, get the family involved. I thought that's a brilliant idea. Uh, if you have a family, and you know anybody shows an interest in your craft it's a great idea to actually get them involved in your craft because then you're spending quality time with your family doing what you like to do they may enjoy it too hopefully and you're still doing your craft and you're also creating memories you know some people might have great memories from you know like for me working with my grandfather uh, making projects out of wood and he would make aeroplanes out of tin cans and all that kind of thing and he'd make miniature steam engines that worked and we'd put them over the fire and get them going and all that kind of thing. It's like wonderful memories of working with my hands and it's like so important to development of, uh, of, of young people in general, uh, in my opinion. So if you can get your family involved, then you're kind of killing two birds with one stone. You're, you're spending quality time with the family and you're also uh, involved in the craft. Now, not, you, know, you might have teenage kids, they're really not interested in leather craft. They're more busy going out and doing their own thing or TikToking or whatever, <laughs> showing my age now. Um, but you know, that, that, that's an ideal world. But if that, you know, that isn't your world, then what I recommend is, <clears throat> and I've done this to myself before, and you'd be surprised how much time you waste. And that is audit your day. Even if you think you're really efficient with your time, have a diary, okay, just for a week, seven days, write down exactly what you did and for how long each and every day. Just to give you an idea, and even if you, you never do it again, you'll always have that awareness of what am I doing, how long is it taking, and all that kind of thing. Because if you have a busy lifestyle, you've got work commitments, you've got family commitments, you might not have time for things that you really enjoy. And if leathercraft is one of those, it's important. So you might find that you're spending time watching Netflix or you're spending time after work standing around talking nonsense with the guys for half an hour, 45 minutes before saying goodbye or going. You know, there's all sorts of things that you, you, you don't pick up on. It's like people sometimes when they audit their diet, they realize that they keep, they're picking whilst they're cooking food. It's all extra calories. And you just don't think about it because it's not a real event. It's not an, a, a big happening. So there's all these little tiny clumps of time throughout the day that we might be using up, uh, which are wasting our time and not good use of our time. So it's all about time efficiency. And one of the ways of, of finding out whether you're being efficient with your time is actually auditing your day for like seven days on a, a normal week, uh, shall we say. So find out what you're doing with your time and find out if you have spare pockets that you could be doing things that, that make you happy, that make you excited, okay? Because life is short, do things you enjoy. Uh, right, uh, I tried, I'm assuming you're talking about getting the family involved, but I was shunned to my garage. <laughs> That's not a good scenario. 
Okay, so question number 10. So hopefully we've got enough time. Apologies if I'm rambling and this cuts out, guys, because I wish lives would actually have a timer on there, which gives you uh, an indication. It gives you a 10 second, you're about to die timer, and that's it. Okay, so question number 10. Just looking at starting leather crafting, what are some of the tools you recommend for a beginner to buy? Okay, so they're just starting in their leather craft journey. What are some of the tools that they, that they want? Okay. What are some of the tools I recommend for a beginner to buy? I could sit here and go, okay, uh, pricking iron, uh, all, uh, work surface to cut on, um, a mallet. Uh, there's always something that like some significant thing like a ruler that I, I miss out or a paring stone or something. So what I did is I compiled a list of tools and a lot of you already here have already heard this, but for those who haven't, there is a free tool guide uh, on my website. It's in the main menu. It's a leather and tool guide, absolutely free. And I'll send it to you on email and it will give you a full list of recommendations, um, which is a much simpler way. Okay, so is there anything on the live on Instagram, anything anybody wants to crack in my thumbs, not a good habit. Uh, anything anyone wants to ask me before I go. It's been a good live, guys. It's been enjoyable. Uh, could be the whiskey, could be the conversation. I think it's a little bit of both. <laughs> uh, the rolled handle, you don't show us the formula, only a pattern. Uh, it's, there isn't a formula necessarily for a rolled handle. So if you want to make one, there, there isn't necessarily a formula that you need to follow because there's a lot of different factors. A lot of it is the look, it's functionality, uh, the size of the bag that it's going on. So there's a ratio for the handle height versus the bag. So that, that would be a formula in some ways. Uh, but there, is, it, there isn't really a formula that I can kind of convey that you can then go and make your own that would then, you know, of course, a lot of people have modified the Lancet rolled handle, for example, or they've used the rolled handle from the Turin luxury handbag and they've successfully changed it and modified it. Um, they're, they're quite modifiable, especially for length and size. Remember, you can change the pattern ratio to be larger. Uh, so there's all sorts of things. But um, with the Lancet rolled handle, I actually taught the the pattern creating process on that. So it's not a PDF. It's actually teaching you how to make the pattern using graph paper. Is it, Ivo says, is it right to store edge paint in glass jars? If they're clean and they don't have too much surface area, I'm, I mean, I'm not a big fan of these wide mouth jars with these lids that come off with a rubber seal because there's still a lot of air on the inside. And that allows for a lot of bacteria uh, buildup. Mold is another issue with that. Um, but also just the surface area, you get like a skin forming around the sides. And sometimes you're, you're putting it on and there's a piece of that half dried edge paint and it can mess up your edge. So um, I much prefer having smaller bottles. Like the largest bottle I buy is like 250 mil. And I just buy lots of that in the same color. So um, I've got a smaller bottle and I pour it out as much as I need. Uh, if I need more, I'll pour a little bit more. If I don't need any more, then, you know, it's probably a small amount, I'll throw that away. Um, but I, I, I'm not a big fan of big bottles or wide mouth jars to store them in. But if you do store them in a jar, uh, try not to open them too often or leave them open rather for too long. Uh, and another thing would be to get some pure alcohol inside, close the lid, shake it up, and then let it dry out naturally. So at least you've killed the bacteria or any yeasts on the inside and all things like that before you put your edge paint in. Uh, course on pattern making, uh, course on pattern making, especially working out how to size gussets and other tricky parts. That is something in the works, but my, my thing with gusset courses, and it's, it's so requested, is I will only put out a course when I think that what I'm teaching is achievable by the people watching the course. So if I put out the way that I design gussets, um, which involves no measurement and no mathematics at all, uh, it, I don't, I'm not confident right now, although I'm working on a solution for that, that if people were to watch it, they'd be able to go away and design their own bags with intricate gussets of obscure 
obscure shapes and they'd be, and I'd change the industry. That is something that I want to achieve and it's something I've been working on for over a year. And just to give you an example, um, the Bloomsbury attache case took about two to two and a half years to produce to a level where I thought that it would be achievable by people with some level of experience in leathercraft. So in order to, it's not just about showing you how I do it, I need to make sure that I'm confident that the way I show it can be achievable by people because my success is only your success. So if you're successful, then I'm successful. If I'm successful and you're not, then I'm not successful, successful at all. So I can only produce that kind of course when I'm confident that people will be able to take that concept and run with it themselves. And right now, I could, I could select three different gussets, five different gussets, and the majority of people come back to me and goes, thank you for that gusset course, but that's not the gusset that I wanted because there's an infinite number of gussets. There is literally, you know, if, if I showed you a course with two and a half billion gussets, you wouldn't be scratching the surface because there's literally an infinite number of gussets or number of shapes and lengths and sizes. Uh, and there's so many variables involved, leather thickness, leather temper, uh, the tightness that you stitch. Uh, there's so many different things um, that I'm, I'm waiting for the right time where I can put a course out where people can go, Yes, that's changed the game. Um, but until I find that game-changing formula, I'm still working on it. So thank you for your patience, everyone who keeps asking about gusset courses. Um, but I'm, not, I'm just not going to put out a gusset course and then no one can replicate what I'm doing because that would be the worst case scenario uh, and that's not what I'm looking for. Gussets I found to be trial and error. Yeah, it's... <laughs> it's... Uh, it's a, it, yeah, it's a challenging one. It's very, very difficult to teach that because it does involve a lot of creativity. Uh, it does involve a type of uh, in, uh, an IQ called visual spatial intelligence. The idea of mentally being able to create a concept in your mind and then recreating it in, in real life. Uh, that's something you can Google. But uh, yeah, gussets are uh, uh, a challenging one to teach, a real challenging one. Thanks for your time and all the tips. Good. Thank you very much for joining me, guys. I really appreciate it. Don't forget, tomorrow this is going to be live. So if you have more questions, you can come back. You'll be watching the same video as this. But of course, uh, I'll be in the live chat on YouTube. So YouTube Premiere. So make sure you subscribe to YouTube Premiere. Turn on your notifications and you'll get a notification. Uh, I think it's an hour before I go live. So you know I'm going live with the Premiere and I'll be able to talk to you in the comments section as well. So... Thank you for watching me and I will see you next month in the next Q&A. And thank you again for all your questions, guys. I will see you soon. Take it easy.